0: Um, Would you pray with me, and then we're going to get into God's Word, as ably read there by by young Joel. Um, Jesus, uh, as we come to this, we remember uh, that I am a flawed, weak, honestly, genuinely quite mediocre bloke, um, and yet that you are sufficient, and that your Spirit is able to speak to us through your Word, as preached today and so we pray that that's what would happen that you would speak to us spirit that jesus would be lifted high that we would come to know you more we pray it all in the name of jesus our savior who came down for us amen all right so heads up i'm going to start today by saying some things that i am going to mispronounce i assume okay has anyone ever heard of a fella named Ho Khan? H O K H A N H. No, neither did I. It's okay. Um, he was a Vietnamese man. He was born in 1969. Um, he grew up in the district of Bo Truck. Uh, his main profession from a young age was the illustrious business of illegal logging. Um, Ho Khan would illegally log a local um, protected rainforest. He spent years of his life, in fact, exploring the jungles of Phong Ke Bang, there you go, uh, National Park. His expeditions into it would last him weeks at a time as he would go hunting and logging to make money to support family. As such, he probably knew the vast jungle of that area better than almost anyone, you would imagine, uh, having spent Years of his life decades of his life and weeks at a time of his life exploring it Uh, It might have seemed to him Whoa Might have seemed to him like he had seen it all like it was all a bit Familiar or at least familiar enough, you know, you've seen one bit of jungle rainforest. You've seen it all right Um, That is until 1990 hokan Uh, on an expedition, much like any other, to gather wood and to kill animals, to make make a living for himself and for his family, Um, he noticed a cave opening in the side of a cliff face, which he'd never noticed before. It's a big old rainforest, by the way. But it was a limestone cliff, um, and he'd never seen this cave, and it must have seemed quite significant to him when he saw it. Because as he saw it, he describes, even decades later, how he saw clouds of mist blowing out and wind blowing out of this big cave entrance. And he could hear a river rushing within this big cave. Uh, but <laughs> um, at the time, he was busy. And at the time, he didn't have any climbing equipment or anything like that to get in there. Uh, so, so even though he saw a very impressive entrance to a cave, he didn't go in any further to see what lay beyond. Uh, that, was, that was 1990. Okay. Um, Don't worry, we're going somewhere with this. Uh, In fact, he didn't actually note to himself exactly where the cave entrance was, and so he lost it, like I said, big rainforest, didn't know where it was, Um, ran into some, some British Uh, cave explorers who were trying to map caves of the local area, discover new caves, told them about it. They were intrigued, but he couldn't show them where it was. They spent years and years trying to find this cave. It would be another 19 years before he managed to lead these guys back to the cave for the first time, and when it would be explored for the first time. For 19 years, all Ho knew was the impressive entranceway to the cave. All he'd seen, all he'd understood was the impressive entranceway. But after 19 years, he went inside. And what he and those explorers with him discovered kind of blew him away and probably shoulda. The cave they discovered has since been named Hang Son Dung. Yes, probably not exactly said like that. Uh, Or, in English, the River Cave. Hansong-dung isn't just any cave. son as it's usually abbreviated to, uh, has its own rainforest inside in sections, whole large, vast sections of the cave that have fallen through and are like, kind of underground, but kind of above ground and have rainforest growing in them. Uh, Hansong-dung has sections of it that are 200 metres high uh, with one cavern alone stretches about five kilometers. It's about, as, as, as a cave, it is about five times the size of the next nearest size cave in Vietnam. Uh, it's large enough that some of those caverns, you could take a city block of New York City, complete with 40 storey skyscrapers, and whack it inside with comfortable room to spare. It's a big cave, like a really big cave. In fact, he had discovered the largest known cave in the world. Uh, I'm not sure exactly which measurement that is by, but I would guess all of them. Um, it's like it's a lot bigger than the next biggest. Um, and they just just discovered like the other year, like another one and a half million square, uh, cubic metres of it as well. Because um, they're still figuring this thing out. After years of wandering the rainforest, after years of familiarity who discovered that there was something so much bigger than he could ever have imagined under the surface, just waiting for him to discover it. I wonder, when we come to Christmas, if we aren't a little bit like Ho Khan, when he was wandering around that rainforest for all of those years. Today, uh, we're in the second part of our Advent series, The Wait Is Over, looking at the comings of Jesus into the world, that Jesus came, the the Messiah, the Saviour of the world, God in the flesh came down and dwelt with us as one of us to rescue us, that Jesus is still coming, He's, he is present among his people. He is coming into the hearts of the lost. He is leading and transforming and dwelling in his church. And so in a very real sense today, here and now, Jesus still comes. And that Jesus will come again. The day of the Lord is coming when he will visibly return. The curtains of history will be drawn back as he returns to bring to consummation the saving work that he begun in his first coming to justly judge the living and the dead dead, and to reign forevermore, and we will reign with him and last week last week, we took a week to look at the waiting of the waiters over, the waiting for the coming of jesus and i don 't know about you, uh, for me looking at the waiting and the thousands of years that people waited for the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Saviour, I just, I I get filled by an immense and humbling sense of privilege when I consider the time that I was born into. You know, the, the saints, the saints upon saints upon saints who waited faithfully for his coming, and yet here we are born into the time of the going out of his kingdom, when he is with us here. And that's his, but today we're going to focus on his first coming uh, and, and in one sense we're focusing on the Christmas story right it's not without reason that we got Joel to read out Luke 2 1 to 7 but, but this is where we often end up like our Vietnamese friend um, Ho because when we talk about the Christmas story many of us immediately kind of remember something big something important something a little bit like uh, the entrance to a very big cave. We remember the birth of Jesus. I mean, what an enormous thing, right? Uh, we, We think of a baby in a manger, uh, like, like Rick said for us last week we, we sing words like come let us adore him and we can't help but adore him because he's so adorable he must have been right we, we think of shepherds we think of sheep we think of angels uh, we're right to think of all of these things by the way we, we think of wise men and their gifts uh, all of the bo- above we probably think of acted out by children right in, a, in an adorable nativity play probably with some tea towels involved um, <sighs> And and all of which are truly part of the story. They are truly significant in the story of the coming of Jesus, the true story of his coming into the world, much in the same way that the cave entrance is a big part of the cave, right? But here's the thing. I I reckon we're all pretty used to that first reading we had today and thinking about that in the context of Christmas, aren't we? Um, she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. And, 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 and probably like 60% of us, at a rough guess, are used to going, ah, but it probably wasn't an actual inn, um, you know, and, and, and kind of having that discussion. But, but, but the second reading, which, which Joel read out for us there from Colossians, um, is perhaps a little bit less familiar in the context of Christmas, And yet the second reading we had there points out for us what is happening under the surface in the story of Christmas. That the first coming of Jesus isn't just the coming of the cute baby for us to adore. It is the coming of the transcendent into the physical. So today, I just want to use those short few verses. We're going to focus our time in Colossians there. Colossians 1, 19 through 22, to point out three otherworldly realities of the baby in the manger, which we all need to see. And in so doing, I wanna to try to take us from focusing on the impressive entrance to, the, to, to, to focusing on the vast cave that lies beneath. So, come with me. Colossians 1.19 says, whoops. In him, all the fullness of God Was pleased to dwell. Now let's be honest this straight off the bat dials it up to 11. The Bible describes a God who is unlike any other being who is or could be. One who reigns supremely over every detail of the cosmos. One who knows the stars by name and also numbers every hair on your head, whether you have many or few. In Job, I love, I love Job, you know, if you haven't read the book of Job, read the book of Job, it's a fun read, but it's a, it's a fascinating read. But you get to the end of Job and, and God answers Job, right? That's the climax of the book. And, and in Job 38, 35, he tells Job that, that God himself sends out the lightning and asks him where to go. I can't do that. He says that he can bind the chains of the Pleiades and loose the cords of Orion. Now, I'm sure most of us are aware those are constellations, right? And the God of the Bible is the God who can reorder the stars at will. The Bible describes the God who is creator of all atoms, molecules, creatures, people, Plants, mountains, oceans, planets, stars, and galaxies. One creator God who made them all. The Bible describes a God who is the beginning and the end of all things, the Alpha and the Omega, it calls him, the first and the last. And he knows the end from the beginning. The Bible more than once describes a God who is so holy and so mighty that when sinful mortal men come into his presence, like not, not like you know, touch him or anything like that, like just see him, they fall down dead or as if dead. And and then we read this, right? In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell baby in the manger is that God? I don't know how anyone can ever get their head around that fully. Doesn't that change everything about the Christmas story? <laughs> I think often we think of it like, with me, close your, like, don't close your eyes, just imagine the manger's right in front of you, right? And, and and, like, you know, maybe maybe our instant reaction might have been, ah, or maybe it would have been, wow. But, like, if you put it in context of orders the stars, I think my reaction, if I was there knowing the reality of exactly what was happening here, was, would probably have been, run. Like, this is the God of the universe <laughs> in front of me. That's, that's like... I'm just being honest here. Like, I, I, I know I should have, you know, wondered and adored and, and stuff like that, but, but, like, if I knew that he was the one... Like, the, the Old Testament describes the idea of his coming as he would touch the earth and it burns, right? And this is him. And, like, I'm just legging it across the field. Like, I'm, I'm pushing sheep out the way. I've knocked a shepherd over. I've stolen some gold on the way, making it even worse for myself. Um, no, not stolen, but... Um, <laughs> Don't go off the reservation, John. Out of sheer fear of being in his presence, I think I would have run if I really understood what was happening there. And yet, that's not all, right? The all-creating God didn't just come down. He came down purposefully. At Christmas, we read, when we sing, the words, you know, peace on earth and goodwill to men. Goodwill to those with whom he is pleased. Take your pick. And, and we might think of Jesus kind of like the first Christmas card. You know, at, at Christmas, God sent us Jesus to let us know that he wants peace for us, good things for us. Hey, I hope you guys are doing well, sending you my best wishes. Uh, kiss, hug, kiss, hug, God, written on the back of the baby. Right. And, and, and then we read this, right? we we'll go from the start of that but reading again. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. If Jesus was the greeting card from God, saying that he wishes that we'd have a good time, wouldn't that be ultimately feel kind of empty? Because... Look at the world. You know, that, there's heaps of bad in this world. There's heaps of rotten stuff that goes on in this world. You know, the all-creating God sends you a card that says, hope you're doing well, and you're like, yeah, but I'm not. Like, <laughs> the Bible gives us an answer to why there is so much bad, so much evil in this world, so much brokenness in the world. The world is distant from God. Or rather, it has been distanced from from God there is a brokenness in this world out of which flows wars tsunamis diseases car accidents inkjet printers every broken thing that there is and at the root of it all is a break between the creation and its creator and yet the baby in the manger came for this very purpose to reconcile the whole of creation to himself not just as a greeting card declaring peace to people but as the way by which that peace would be made and the whole creation would be redeemed and here's the most crazy part it doesn't just say he came to reconcile the whole creation it says he came to reconcile it by the blood of his cross God the Son, the God of all creation came down as a baby Mind-blowing, right? But that God the Son, the God of all creation, would come down as a baby in order to grow up and to give his life, to sacrifice himself to redeem the creation. But our final two verses here. Take these mind-blowing, these transcendent realities that we've been looking at. These otherworldly realities. And they intensely personalise them. We'll read it from the start again. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So the baby in the manger is the all creating god come down in order to reconcile all of creation by his blood but then he says and you and it's like it's like uh if you you imagine it as a movie uh it's like there's been a big panorama happening right like a big shot of all of creation of of the majesty and, and of the picture and the majesty of who jesus is right And then the camera like swings around and there's you. Little old you, little old me. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That brokenness in the world that we mentioned, out of which every bad thing comes, that separation from God roots down in this. We were hostile to God. We do evil. Maybe you think of yourself as a fairly good person. I'm not sorry to do this to you, but that's not how the Bible thinks of you. It's not how the creator and judge of the universe thinks of you. And if you think about it, if there's a creator and judge of the universe, whose opinion matters, right? The Bible says we've all gone astray. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short. The the brokenness of humanity, both individually um, and, and corporately, is the brokenness which breaks the whole world. He created us as the pinnacle of his creation, made to show the whole world what he is like. And yet instead, we rebelled against him and we led the whole world into darkness in this way. Logically, logically, what's the good next step for God, right? Right. Create a perfect world. Create pinnacle beings in that world. Pinnacle beings are the break that damage that world. What's your logical next step? Reconcile the world by getting rid of us, right? I mean, I've I've built enough Lego to know. Uh, But that's not what he does. We... We personally become reconciled to God by the death of Jesus when we turn away we turn away from our running and decide to trust him instead this is why the blood of Jesus redeems the whole creation right because it deals with our brokenness with our sin when Jesus died on the cross he took the punishment for my rubbish the punishment that was mine, the punishment that was yours for our evil, so that anyone who believes in him would come back to God, would find life abundantly in him, would find peace abundantly in him and joy abundantly in him. Jesus said, even the son of man, that's him, even Jesus, came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And as he reconciles the broken people by which creation was broken, he reconciles the very creation itself. The Bible says that because of the coming of Jesus, because of the baby in the manger, and because Jesus did something about our sin by his coming and his dying, a day is coming when evil will be no more. It will be swept away. No more floods, no more droughts. No more colds, no more tuberculosis. No more No more sin. No more regret. Every broken thing will pass away from this world and it'll be perfect. And just like at the the root of the brokenness was a distance from God, at the root of the perfection will be a perfect relationship with God. Because of what Jesus did when he died, when he came, when God came down. I hope, I pray, that as we come towards Christmas this year, we'll see not just the entrance, but the cave. Not just the baby and the shepherds, but the transcendent God who came down to reconcile us and the whole cosmos with us. If you haven't trusted in him, if you haven't experienced his saving grace, I hope, I pray. And I pray not just for those here, but that this would be a thing that pours out. I pray this Christmas will be the time when people receive the grace of God. When you do when you throw yourself on him and discover that he loves you and he longs for you to receive salvation, to be reconciled by the blood of Jesus. It's the biggest and the best choice that anyone could ever make. If you have trusted in him, I hope, I pray, that this season will provide you with many opportunities to show to others the love that reconciled you to God kind of point them towards the cave. I pray that in a time when people often become self-absorbed and and caught up in the chaos of their plans, I pray that God's people, those of us here, will be ready to lay down our plans to show with our actions that God cares for the lost and the struggling of this world. And I pray that we will go out with a renewed vision of who it is that we celebrate at Christmas, and a renewed readiness to tell of his goodness to anyone who will hear it.